Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, I would invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be looking at half of one verse this morning to prepare our hearts for uh, church-wide communion today. If you have not received or did not pick one of these up as you were walking through um, later on uh, in the service, we will have some ushers that are able to provide one for you. If you would like to partake, there's no pressure for you to partake, but I want you to be aware of that. If you are a guest, we want you to know that you're welcome to take of the Lord's Supper. If you're a believer in Christ, we uh, have an open table in that regard. But this morning, as we consider God's Word, I just want to revisit the question what does it mean to say that Jesus died for me? One of the things about that type of statement is that it often proves true, that statement, that familiarity breeds contempt in the sense that many, many, many of you have heard that statement, Jesus died for me. And so as we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper and we're thinking about Um, what it means to remember and what it means to declare Christ's death until he comes, what I want us to do is to revisit what he has actually accomplished on our behalf. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3, looking at verse 18, we're going to look just at the beginning, and I would invite you to stand with me out of respect for the reading of the word of Christ. We'll read it twice since it's short. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Read that again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Maybe seated as we go to the Lord and ask his blessing upon his word this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth that we have lifted in song that you do not change. Lord, what we are considering in your word, Lord, is good news only if you don't change. So, Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, guard me from error. Feed your people. Lord, and wake the dead that they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and be saved. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' holy name that we lift up this time and lift up these requests. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible still open, I would invite you just to look back with me at verse 18. And I want us to work through it slowly together. We're really going to begin with the question. So who's this passage about? Pretty important to have an idea of who the passage is about. For Christ also suffered once for sins. So the subject in this sentence is Christ. He's the one doing the act. But sometimes I feel like when we hear the word Christ, we think Jesus Christ, it can, it can kind of feel like a last name, right? It's like, oh yeah, it's Jesus Christ, like Casey Huff, in the sense that that, that idea of Christ, if we're not careful, we, we feel like it doesn't have theological significance for actually explaining who he is. And why that matters to us. So I want us to think for a moment about what does it mean to speak of Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? Because if we have an idea of who he is, then it's going to deepen our appreciation and our, and our worship of what this God has done on our behalf. So who is Jesus? 
According to passages like Hebrews 1, he is the creator and the sustainer of all things, who upholds all things by the word of his power. Later, Paul would call him the Lord of glory. In Philippians, he's described as the Lord over all. Gospel of John, John chapter 1, John refers to him as the only begotten son, the one and only, the unique one. Isaiah prophesies of Jesus being the prince of peace. He's the king of kings. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Notice, it does not say he is a way, a truth, and a life. He is the definite article. There is no other life, there is no other truth, there is no other way but through him. John tells us other places that he is the light of the world, giving a revelation of who God is to all who have eyes to see. He is the Christ, that is the anointed one. He is the Savior, meaning that he has come for the specific role of saving those that are in need. Elsewhere, we're told he is the very word of God incarnate. He's the revelation of God that comes in the flesh to teach us, to show us what God is like. So now let's return for a second back to 1 Peter 3.18. And what does it say? For Christ also suffered once for sins. Who suffered? The creator, the sustainer, the Lord of glory, the Lord over all, the only begotten son, the prince of peace, the king of kings, the way, the truth, the life, the light of the world, the anointed one, Christ himself, the savior of the world, the word of God in comfort. He suffered. This was, this was not a sinner suffering. This was the Holy One of God, no one like him. If anyone ever deserved not to suffer, it's the one that we find suffering in 1 Peter 3, 18. So what has he done? We have a better idea of who this Christ is. What has he done? He has suffered for sins once for all. This Jesus suffered for sins that he did not deserve to suffer for, yet he suffered. He was afflicted. He was ill-treated. He was punished for sin. Not his sin, but for your sin, your rebellion, your falling short. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room, guilty before a holy God, worthy of receiving God's just punishment, you and I deserve to suffer for our sins. Yet according to this passage, who suffered for your sins? Jesus did. Remember who he is? The creator, sustainer, Lord over all, the king of kings, suffered for your sins. Not his own sins, but for your sins. Peter talked about this in his Pentecost sermon 
We find this in places like Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 23, that Jesus suffered for sins according to God's sovereign design. It was not as if someone took Jesus' life from him. He laid his life down according to the definite plan of God. Peter writes, men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. This eternally perfect person His suffering was not by accident. It was in fulfillment of a divine plan. God had purposed it. Why? Why would someone that was not a sinner, who was perfect in every way, suffer for other people's sins, your sins? And and I, I don't know how to try to make that land on you the way that Peter wanted it to land on you. Your sins, your bad attitude towards your spouse, your lying at work, your mean temper toward your children, your adulterous thoughts to people that you are not married to, The hate in your heart that Jesus said is like murder. The the lust and greed within you that will consume you, that according to Paul and other places, will provide and lead to all other sorts of sins because of the love of money. The way that you obsess with other things other than God. All of these things are deserving of judgment and yet Jesus places himself willingly under that judgment that your sins deserve. Why? Why would he do this? We find our third point. If the, second, if the first point is that we need to see who this passage is about, it's about Christ, and then the second point is, is we need to see what he's done. The third point is we need to see why he has done it. You look at the end of verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Jesus suffered in the place of unrighteous people like you and like me who deserve God's wrath. On the cross, Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God toward sin. And by doing so, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and 6, the way back to God was opened and offered to all who would acknowledge their sins, believe in Christ, and confess him as Lord and Savior. 
I, 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 need, I, need you to, I need you to hear this. And, and part of the reason why I need you to hear this is because this is not a particularly popular message within our culture. And if you were a guest here today and you're checking out our church for the first time, you're thinking, wow, this is where we're at, first Sunday. And I'm not really sure how this is significant for uh, my life and my experience. And you're telling me that I'm unrighteous and that I'm a sinner and that I deserve the wrath of God. Here's the reality. If we don't understand who we are and what we deserve, how will we ever worship him and rightly regard what he has done for us? If we don't consider ourselves the unrighteous one that the righteous one died for, will we ever truly have regard and love for the righteous one that died for us? You go, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be labeled unrighteous. That just, I don't like that. I don't like that, preacher. Well, according to your logic, if you don't like the designation of being unrighteous, Christ didn't die for you. You're like, well, I mean, I want that. Okay, then, get on the page with Jesus that you are unrighteous, and that's not bad news if you keep reading the story, and the story is the righteous one came and died for unrighteous people. Amen? That's such good news if you have ever sinned. (laughs) If you have ever fallen short, if you have ever, as one preacher put it, had one two-second bad attitude, you, according to the Bible, are unrighteous. You are a sinner. But the good news of the gospel of God's grace is that he did not come to save people that were righteous. He did not come to save the well, for the well did not have a need for a physician. He came to the unrighteous. He came to the sick to heal to restore, to bring us back into fellowship with God. So this morning, you were driving into church and the kids took way too long to get ready, okay? And, and some of you have been through this. Some of you will go through this. The kids, the kids took way too long to get ready. And then they said, I don't have anything to wear. And you walk upstairs and you go, what do you mean you don't have anything to wear? We just did laundry. Then you made the mistake of walking into their room on a Sunday morning after they've told you, I cleaned my room. And you're like, this is a different category of clean. You know, maybe, maybe they're teaching you something else. That's that common core clean, right? This does not look like clean to me. So I walk in, and, and as you're getting your heart ready for the Lord, the flesh. And shamefully, you, you let them have it. I tell you what, when we get home from church, and you better not let anybody church know that we have had a bad day this morning. You better walk in smiling, quit crying. And when we get home, you're going to clean this, and you're going to be grounded, and you're going to read your Bible, and you're going to like it, and I better not hear anything, because I'm going to take a nap. And I'm making all this up. I've never experienced this, by the way. If this, uh, yeah, just, and you came in this morning, and you felt like, oh, I just don't deserve to be here. 
or maybe on a, a, life, a less trivial type of feeling. You went to bed. You went to bed, you... You went to bed with an unrepentant sin towards someone else that you, that you love. You harbor bitterness in your heart toward them. Last night or this morning, you indulged in sexual morality by looking at pornography. You know that you have to give an account to someone at work next week because you've lied, you've stolen. Your marriage is completely falling apart. You're divorced, but not just divorced. You've been divorced multiple times, and you're thinking, there's just no hope for me. You know what this passage does for all of us? In everyone else that I, I, can't, I can't get you yet, like you feel like I've missed you. You think, ah, that doesn't apply to me. How about this? Paul says that anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Ever done anything that wasn't based in faith? You're a sinner. Why are you driving this home like this? Because you're qualified. <laughs> Being labeled a sinner is not bad news if, if the solution to the sinner is what's offered in the text. That's great news. It's bad news to be told there's a solution to a problem you don't feel like you have, but you have a problem. Your soul is sin sick. You are fallen. You have rebelled against God, but God came after you. And even though your sins had separated you from God, God said, I'm going to bring you back. You said, how are you going to bring me back? How will my sins, the, the, the punishment that my sins deserve, how will you ever be able to deal with that? God says, I'll deal with it myself. And Jesus came and he died, the righteous in the place of the unrighteous. Why? So that unrighteous people might be brought near to God. And that's why in a moment we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper because one of the things that the Lord's Supper is not only declaring to the world, but it is our participation in our communion with God that says, I don't deserve to be here on my own, but because of the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus, I can approach the throne of God's grace boldly because I'm forgiven, not because I'm righteous, but because someone that was righteous died in the place of an unrighteous person for me, to bring me near to God. Amen. For those that have placed their trust in Jesus, your sins have been dealt with forever. Hebrews 9 24 through 28 points this out. For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only the model of the true one, but into heaven itself. So he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest entered the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this the judgment, so also the Messiah having been offered once 
to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to bear sins, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The end of salvation is to bring us to God that we might worship him, that we might glorify him, that we might enjoy him forever. Our sins have not been dealt with so that we can have nicer cars and more ease and the better house. Our sins have been dealt with that we might behold the glory of the living God in the demonstration of his mercy and his wrath on the cross. That our blind eyes might be opened to see the glory of God in the manifold wisdom of what he has planned. That we might be granted to gaze upon the beauty of the king in his glory with his matchless perfection forever without our sinful flesh clouding and distorting our view. Christ Jesus suffered and died that we might know our God, that we might worship him, which is why Jesus prays what he prays in John 17, three, and this is eternal life, that they know you and the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Friends, brothers and sisters, you were made to know God. You were made to worship God, but sin separates you from God until you turn to Christ for forgiveness and restoration. But once you have turned from your sin to Christ, you then will enjoy the freedom and fellowship that belong to you that were designed by God for you because Jesus Christ, the righteous for the unrighteous, has died once for all to set us free. This morning, if you're here and you have never received this freedom and this forgiveness, in a few moments, we're going to pray following the Lord's Supper. And I would invite you to meet with our prayer leaders. I would invite you to pray with them and call upon the name of the Lord. At that moment, after the Lord's Supper, I'm going to invite you to participate in that. For those of you that are believers, it'll be a time for you to pray as well and just to recommit your heart and your life to the Lord, asking him to cleanse you of all unrighteousness as we see in 1 John chapter 1, 7 through 10. If you're here this morning and you've already trusted in Christ, you have received forgiveness that is promised to those that put their hope in him, I want to encourage you as we prepare our hearts even now for the Lord's Supper to reflect upon these realities. Who died for you? Christ. Why did he die for you? To deal with your sin. Why did he need to deal with my sin? So that I could be brought near to God. You don't have to fear. If I come into his presence, what's he going to do to me? He's going to welcome you like the son and daughter that you are because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's the forgiveness. That's the grace that he offers to you. And so with that, you take just a few moments to prepare your heart as we receive. As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equip for Good. Thanks for listening.